they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. I love it. Usually you'll see my wife right next to me, but I, I don't know where she's at. So let's say a little prayer that she gets here safely. Remember, O oh most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to that protection implored thy help or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto thee, O Virgin of Virgins, our Mother. To thee do we come, before thee we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petition, but in thy mercy hear and answer us. Amen. We've got John who's waiting from last week's show, or la- the last show, while I wait for my wife to come. John, what's on your mind? You're on, uh, actually, the Bible with the barbers. Oh, I see it here. Okay, John's not here. Mary Danielle just arrived, so thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your prayers, too. We really appreciate it. I want to remind you that Women's Conference is coming up on the 7th of September. And I'm going to sit down with my wife here. But if you haven't, the seats are filling up quite fast. I think we're at about 100 people, so we can hold about 275. So there's still some seats available. What you want to do is call 877-526-2151 or just call... Or just go online to Virgin Most Powerful and register right online. Mary Danielle, God bless you, my love. Welcome. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Yes. So I, we're ready, willing, and able now. Sorry. I got my better half with me. Thank you, Jesus. Sorry, I was a few minutes late. I That's lost right. track of the time there. That's okay. <laughs> You're entitled. Mothers are, are very busy people. Well, today's the Feast of the Transfiguration. I love it. We well, Manifestation of God. That's oh, right. Wow. Beautiful, beautiful feast day within the church. We have special readings. It's, uh, we don't have the readings for the ordinary. Um, oh, no, special readings. It's interesting. We, you know, last week we talked about, can, you know, we, can we trust the, the Gospels? Are they historically reliable documents? And yeah. absolutely, yes, we can trust them, and mm-hmm. they are historically reliable. As a matter of fact, in uh, the senses of Scripture, the first sense is always the literal historical sense. Mm-hmm. What did this passage mean in its literal historical context? Well, we have the, um, the readings today. We have... Two first readings. We have a reading from the book of Daniel, and we have a reading from the letter of St. Peter. And I think it's important to look at them for just a moment. Mm -hmm. Daniel sees this vision of the throne of God in heaven, and all these angels. He has thousands upon thousands are are ministering him, and myriads upon myriads are waiting upon him. And then one like a son of man comes on the clouds, Mm -hmm. and he receives glory and kingship and dominion. Now, the one like a son of man, um, at least in one sense, is the Messiah. Yeah. And he receives dominion and power and glory and kingship. And that's what the, the manifestation, the Feast of the Transfiguration, shows forth to the apostles. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because you have some modern biblical scholars who will say, well, you know, God can't intervene in history, and can we trust the Bible? Well, you know, we don't really know the historical Jesus if we read the Gospels. And it's like, well, I'm sorry, the first sense of Scripture is the literal historical sense. So That's true. If you don't know the historical Jesus from reading the Gospels, you're not going to know him. You can't find him anywhere else. That's where you're going to find him. <laughs> He's in the Gospels. And St. Peter, in his first in his letter, 2 Peter 1, 16 through 19, listen to these words very, very carefully, because I think it's very important. I think it would be instructive for all biblical scholars and theologians to listen to these words with great attention. Beloved, we did not follow cleverly devised myths. 
when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we had been eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when that unique declaration came to him from the majestic glory, This is my Son, my Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. Moreover, we profess the prophetic message that is altogether reliable. You will do well to be attentive to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we have Peter telling us it's not by way of cleverly concocted myths that we told you about the transfiguration. Well, how do we know he's referring to the transfiguration? Well, he says, we heard the voice say, this is my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Read the account of the transfiguration in all three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's in all three of them. Matthew 17, 1 through 9, Mark 9, 2 through 10, and Luke 9, 28b to 36. And they all have those exact same words. Mary, it's so clear when you read the Word of God that it is uh, the inerrant Word of God. And I just have to say, I can't judge people who don't proclaim that, but those theologians who are dissenting from what the Church teaches about the Bible, I have found over 40 years of experience that those are the same people who don't want to adhere to the moral teachings of the Church. Exactly. I've seen that. Right. It, it it seems to follow. Yeah. We, we, first, we want to say... You get say, it wrong. You get the Bible wrong, you get everything wrong. Right. We don't. We want to say, well, you know, the scriptures, uh, it's just people made these stories up because they were trying to explain their experience and this, that, and the other thing. And Well, that's not what the church teaches nope. us. The church teaches us that God inspired certain people to write down what he desired to have written and nothing more. And the church teaches that the Holy Spirit is the primary author of the scripture. Even though he uses human instruments, Mm -hmm. they write what he intends. Yes, they use their own language. They use their own expressions. They use poetry. They use, you know, letters. They use parables. They use different forms of of writing and expression. But it all expresses the truths that God inspires. It's not just something that people decided, oh, I want to write. I'm reflecting on my experience and I want to write this down. Over the weekend, you and I were in Wichita, Kansas, and I had these conversations with people, and I said, get Dr. Hahn's The Best of Scott Hahn. He has a series called Can You Trust the Bible? Yeah. It's 13 hours of a course he taught at Steubenville. Now, not all of us can go to Franciscan University and take the course, but you can listen to the course. And I have it on an MP3 disc among you know other talks that he gave on answering common objections, how to get the most out of the Mass, evangelizing the baptized. It's a it's an MP3 disc full of teachings, biblical teachings. So if you want to get formed well on the inerrancy of Scripture, Dr. Hahn did a fantastic job. You can get that. I think it's 1995 for like 28 hours of full of um, 28 hours of Dr. Hahn's teachings. Just call the 877-526-2151 number, and I guarantee you, as you listen to the Bible with the Barbers, listening to Dr. Hahn, much of what my wife has been teaching will just affirm what Dr. Hahn has been saying. And it's just good to be uh, well-formed when it comes to the inerrancy of Scripture. Yeah, it is. It is. And I, I just, in the Gospel accounts here, we have the three accounts. Mm-hmm. And the basic account is the same. Jesus mm-hmm. took Peter, James, and John with him up on a high mountain. Mm-hmm. He was praying. 
Um, his clothes became white as light, mm-hmm. and Moses and Elijah appear to him, and they're speaking to him. And then they're over, you know, Peter thinks, oh, well, let's just stay here, Lord. <laughs> Peter gets caught up in the moment. Isn't this wonderful? Can't we just stay here forever? We'll erect three booths, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I'd say the same thing, though, wouldn't you? I could be <laughs> yeah. tempted to that. I mean, what, what exactly. You... What, what do I have to go back down exactly. to the world for? I mean, I'm in heaven right here. You know? I ain't going anywhere. What do I have to go back for? Right. And, and then they're overshadowed by this cloud, and a voice comes out of the cloud, mm. and it says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. The same words that are in the second letter of Peter. And so we have in all three of the synoptic gospels the same account. Now, there are details that are added. It's interesting that Mark, who was preaching the gospel, as has been preached by, who was writing the gospel, excuse me, writing the gospel as it had been preached by Peter, adds this detail. His clothes became dazzlingly white, such as no fuller on earth could bleach them. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the point here? What did Peter say in his letter? It is not by way of cleverly concocted myths. We didn't have some kind of a, um, a dream, or we didn't make a story up. His clothes became dazzlingly white. This is not a cleverly concocted myth. In other words, what was happening was supernatural. We witnessed it. We experienced it. And that's what we're witnessing to, to you. Now, Jesus takes with him Peter, James, and John. These are the three. He took Peter, James, and John with him when he went to raise Jairus' daughter. Mm -hmm. And he takes Peter, James, and John with him here to see the transfiguration. And he will take Peter, James, and John with him into the garden of Gethsemane. And this transfiguration, the church teaches us and the fathers of the church have taught us, Jesus did this to strengthen them. So that when he is crucified, when he does turn himself over to the authorities and allow them to do with him as they desire, they won't be scandalized and fall away forever. Interesting what you said, just backing up where he said, do whatever he tells you. Yes. Isn't it interesting, at the wedding feast of Cana, Our Lady said something similar. Right. He, he says, the, the, the Father him. says, listen, listen to him. And, our, and I thought of that also this Isn't morning as, as they were reading this gospel. Yeah. The words of Our Lady of Cana. What is her last words? Someone, one, somebody once said, yeah. the best advice given. Yeah. Do whatever he tells you. Yeah. What does the Father say? Listen to him. Yep. Well, if we do whatever he tells you, we're listening, right? Exactly. To listen means to imply that if there's an action to be done as a result of the listening, I will do that action. I will follow through on it. It's not just a hearing of words. It's, it's an imbibing of those words and making them part of us so that they affect our life and they change the way we behave. And so, yes, Our Lady is, she's echoing, of course, she was so close mm-hmm. to Jesus. There was nobody closer to Jesus than mm-hmm. Mary was. Um, he took all of his DNA from her. And because she carried him in her womb, some of his cells were implanted in her brainstem. That's something. And some of her cells were implanted in his brainstem. That's powerful. The, the relationship they found out now through this modern studies of the relationship between the, the infant child that's carried in the womb and the mother. Father Don Calloway at the Wichita Family Conference went into that. We were just oh. going, yeah, baby, yeah, we love it. And uh, I've got all three hours of his talks. I'm going to make them available to our monthly donors probably in another week. Hey, you're listening to The Bible with the Barbers. I don't know about you, but I love my Bible. I'm Catholic. Amen. When we come back, we'll have more with the Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio with clarity and charity.
Hi, this is Barbara Nicolosi, and we're having a women's conference here at the Sacred Heart Chapel in Covina on September 7th, 2019. This is going to be a great, great day for you to come and meet a bunch of new friends, wonderful Catholic women who want to deepen their Catholic faith and their understanding of themselves as women. You know, this era right now that we're in, so much confusion. What is it to be a man? What is it to be a woman? You know, the Catholic Church has a lot to say about this, and we're going to hear about them. We're going to hear about John Paul II's letter on women that he wrote from Mary Danielle Barber. He's going to talk about that. She's going to talk about Mary as a model for all of us. It's a topic that we can never reflect on too much. I'm going to talk about Teresa of Avila and the interior castle and how a mystical marriage is what all of us should be called to, or are called to, as Catholics in our prayer lives, and especially as women in the church. Aileen Blakowski is going to talk about motherhood and homeschooling. And then Father, we have, uh, finally we have Father Charles Murray. He's going to be the celebrant of the Eucharist. He's going to be here hearing confessions. It's going to be an amazing day. We're going to have an hour of adoration together, time to pray, time to laugh, and eat, reflect, uh, grow in our passion for our Catholic faith and our identity as Catholic women. You don't want to miss it. You want to come. You want to bring your friends. You want to bring your daughters, your nieces. That's really an affordable day. So go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org and you can register for this conference or call 877-526-2151. The Women's Conference is going to be a great event for the Archdiocese of, of Los Angeles area, Southern California Catholics. You don't want to miss it. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%! Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. So we want to hear what the (laughs) Heavenly Father says and and listen to Him, and we want to follow the advice of our Blessed Mother and do whatever He tells us. Amen. And that's that's where we want to go. So we are in the 13th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, and we're here. Paul and Barnabas are on their first missionary journey. And it's interesting, when you read this, it's, you know, two, two short chapters, and you think, oh, you know, a year, whatever, what, how long was this missionary journey, six months or something? Now, this missionary journey was almost four years long. They started in 45 AD, and they completed it in 49 AD, and they did a lot of traveling by land and by sea. They, you know, you take the boat, you go from one island to the other island, and they did a lot of walking, and they stopped in, in the villages, wherever they were, and at that point, they were going to the synagogues first. They went because the gospel was preached first to the Jews. And they were trying to tell them the Messiah has come. They're trying to inform Israel. And it's interesting. um, We started this last week, and we talked a little bit about um, where they were and where they had gone. And then when um, they're preaching in the synagogue at Antioch in in Pisidia, there are two Antiochs there in the ancient world. And this is the other Antioch. This is the Antioch that's closer to the sea. It's not the one that's inland. It's Antioch and Pisidia. And um, Paul goes through the whole history of Israel. And we talked a little bit about this last week that, you know, God watched over his people. He took them out of slavery in Egypt. 
he takes him out into the desert. Now, he didn't mean to take him out for 40 years in terms of that wasn't his plan. His plan was that they would go to the Holy Land. Um, it was, you know, what from Egypt to the Holy Land, it wasn't that long of a journey. It wasn't a 40-year journey. But they get to the Holy Land, and when they get there, they refuse to go and take the land. They refuse to trust the Lord. And the Lord said, fine, you refuse to trust me? You will wander in the desert for 40 years. They had gone, they had sent spies to reconnoiter the land. And Joshua and Caleb were among those spies. Joshua and Caleb tried to encourage the people that, no, we can do this. The Lord will be with us. He is faithful. He will fight for us. But he had, they had sent other spies. Moses had sent other spies. To, and they're, oh, no, no, these, these men are giants. And there's no way we can resist them. And they, spent, they spread discouragement against the people in the people. And so the people cried out against God and Moses. And, Mo, and God said, fine. In that case, you will wander in the desert for 40 years. One day for every year you spent reconnoitering the land, mm -hmm. you will spend wandering in the desert. And this generation will die in the desert. Mm -hmm. And they will not enter, other than Joshua and Caleb, they will not enter the promised land. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, when God says to do something, we have to trust him. Yeah. And again, you know, don't, don't, don't think you're having private revelations. If you do, you need to verify that with the church. You have to go to an official authority of the church a priest, a confessor, a spiritual director, um, who can discern because there are many spirits out there. And people can have supernatural experiences that don't come from God. You know, Muhammad's supernatural experience didn't come from the angel Gabriel. The angel Gabriel didn't reveal to Muhammad that Allah is one and that he has no sons because the angel Gabriel is the angel of the incarnation. He's the one who revealed that God does have a son. He will be called the son of God the child that Mary would bear. He announced to Mary that she would be the mother of the Son of God, the mother of God. And so, you know, and then you, again, you have other people throughout the ages who have claimed to have some kind of revelation from God. And Joseph they, Smith, another one. And, and they lead people astray. Yep. Because the revelation, they don't, they don't check that revelation against anyone. And that, even Paul, Paul who did see Jesus, the risen Jesus, and, and spent um, time with him in the Arabian desert where Jesus gives Paul the gospel directly, mm -hmm. Paul still goes up to lay at the feet of the apostles mm -hmm. the gospel that he had preached to make sure that he hadn't run the course in vain. Right. And to make sure that he hadn't, because we can, we can deceive ourselves. Even if we receive an authentic relation, a revelation from God, we could deceive ourselves and we can get proud. So we have to humble ourselves before the Lord and listen to him and bring God's message. So, Paul talks about all the things that God did and how he raised up his people. And now he's raised up his, the Savior. And the Savior is Jesus, as he promised. And John the Baptist had come. He had announced Jesus. And he said, you know, people thought, well, John was the Messiah because they saw him out there. He's, he's preaching. He's, he's, talking, he's telling people to repent and return to God. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe this is the Messiah. No, I'm not. I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals mm -hmm. on his feet, John would tell them. So... so mm -hmm. Paul goes on to tell them that the, when the people didn't accept Jesus and they didn't recognize him, they condemned him to death. Even though they, he had no charge against him that was deserving of death, they condemned him to death. And they asked Pilate to have him killed. And this was to fulfill what was written about him. If you go back and read the Old Testaments, and, and you, Bishop Sheen has a talk about this. He says, line up the claimants. And he talks about the prophecies yeah. in the Old Testament. about And Jesus fulfills every single prophecy. 
that uh, where he's talking about is in the Life is Worth Living series that we have off available. I got to say full sheen ahead. As you know, I say that because my wife just mentioned Bishop Sheen. And I would say that if you don't have his Life is Worth Living, there's 50 half-hour shows on the fundamentals of the faith, which is so needed today in our church. Yeah. If you want to get that, call 877-526-2151. Are you ready, to, ready for this? If you get Bishop Sheen's Life is Worth Living, I'm throwing in a catechism DVD. That's a $20 DVD called Our Catholic Faith, and it does exactly the same thing. It teaches you fundamental teachings of the catechism on DVD for your kids. Show it to your kids. You get both for nineteen ninety five. Call 877-526-2151. And so when Paul talks about, you know, the reality of that Jesus was crucified, mm-hmm. you know, we sometimes wonder about that. It's like, well, why did Jesus let them do this to him? What, what, how does this make any sense? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's God. He comes to, to, to establish the kingdom of God. And he submits to this horrible suffering. And on our own, we cannot, we cannot understand this. This is, this is divine logic that goes way beyond. It doesn't contradict human logic, mm-hmm. but it goes way beyond it. We don't understand the value of human suffering. Suffering, God didn't make suffering. It mm-hmm. came as an intrusion because of sin. But God has redeemed its meaning. Jesus Christ didn't come to eradicate human suffering. He came to fill it with his presence. So with the help of grace, mm-hmm. we can understand we can come to understand that Jesus really did make himself obedient even unto death. Death on a cross, as it says in Philippians 2.8. Yes, he really became obedient unto death. Are we willing to become obedient unto death? Are we willing to give up our preconceived notions and our own ideas? Are we willing to give up our attachment to the things of this world? First and foremost, are we willing to give up sin? in order to come to know the Lord and the love that he pours out for us. God loves us, and it's just amazing. St. Thomas Aquinas said of this, that it was very fitting that Christ should die on the cross. First, to give an example of virtue. Also, because this kind of death was the one most suited for atoning for the sin of the first man. It was fitting that Christ in order to make up for the fault, to allow himself to be nailed to the wood as if to restore what Adam had snatched away. Also because by dying on the cross, Jesus prepares us for our ascent into heaven and because it also was fitting for the salvation of the entire world. Jesus wanted to save everyone. Now remember, this is God's desire. Yes. It's not his active will. He gives us free will. We have to freely choose him. He won't violate our free will. You know, if we all of our life reject God, God's not after we die. God's not going to all of a sudden say, well, you know, I know you rejected me all my life, but I'm so merciful that I'm, gonna, I'm just going to override your free will and I'm going to make you go to heaven. You know, Mary, this is the prevalent uh Thought in many churches, even inside the Catholic Church, many people think it's universal salvation. We go to heaven. But if we are going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, look at the crucifix. Mm-hmm. Bishop Sheen said it well when he said, without Good Friday, there's, no Easter, there's no Easter Sunday. And so as followers of Christ, this idea that Jesus died on the cross, yes, and that he did all the suffering, 
He for, for our redemption of our sin, he did. But we have to be uniting our suffering with him so we imitate him. How can we imitate him if we don't suffer? Right. So, you know, the bottom line is there's no one on the planet that lives in this world without suffering. It, it's right. So Everybody's going to suffer. You might as well unite it with the suffering of Christ to help redeem the world. Amen. It, it has merit. It has meaning. It's redeeming mm-hmm. if we unite it to Christ. Bishop Sheen talked about that, too. He talked about all the wasted pain out there in the world. And he said, you know, our hospitals, the, the nursing I, I, homes, I the, that, yeah. they could become... Atomic power plants. Spiritual atomic power plants. <laughs> exactly. That, that the graces that could flow from there. Yeah. He said, there's so much wasted pain. Yeah. Don't waste the pain. When you're suffering in union with Jesus to help mm-hmm. redeem the world. Lord Jesus, you suffered, and I want to unite my suffering to yours. Mm-hmm. And And this is... The cross of our Lord is the source of our salvation. We're called to be saints. We're called to union with Christ. And when you love somebody, you want to be with them. You want to be united to them. Mm-hmm. And you actually want to look like them if you really love them. Well, And that's why the, what gave the saints the strength to suffer. Mm-hmm. They looked at the cross of our Lord and they're like, they said, Lord, I want all my sufferings to be united to yours. Mm-hmm. I want to look like you. Mm-hmm. And so through the cross... God can make us holy. And it's God who makes us holy with his grace. We don't do it. We're not going to make ourselves saints. So we're just cooperating with sanctifying grace that is available to us. Exactly. And any value in saying yes to God is that you have the freedom to say no. So, But we have to do our own fiat like Mary did. Exactly. We have to say yes. We have to give God permission. God wants to make us saints. He desires to. That's his will. But it's his, his, his passive will. Yep. It's his desire. For all of us. But he won't do it without our permission. Gives us free will to say yes or no. Right. We have to give him permission. So who sends us to hell? <laughs> we refuse God. That's it. And that's what will put us in hell. If yep. we refuse to cooperate with God, if we refuse to turn to him and yep. acknowledge that he is the Lord. Yep. You know, so many times in our life, we want to be the Lord of our life. And, you know, people... People say abortion, 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 and it's true. Abortion is a horrible, horrendous mm-hmm. crime. But you know what? The sin of contraception, and Dietrich von Hildebrand explains this, is a sin first and foremost against the first commandment. Because when couples use contraceptives in their marriage, they're saying, you know what, God? You are not the Lord of my marriage and of my fertility. You might be the Lord of part of my life, but that part of my life, no, that's in my control. I'm the one who's going to decide. And that's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They wanted to be like God, knowing good and evil, deciding for themselves without God what was good and evil. God made marriage. Marriage is not just a human institution. It's not just a social structure. Marriage was a divine institution that was divinely instituted, and its purpose is to reflect the life of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is a communion of love and life. It's all the Father, Son, Holy Spirit always loving each other. They're always giving life to each other. And it's constant. And that's what marriage is supposed to be, this communion of love and life. And when we use contraceptives in our marriage, we're telling the Lord, no, you can't be the Lord of my marriage. And so we're sinning first and foremost against God. Absolutely. want to let you know I've got the Navarre Bible that Mary Danielle's reading out of. A new, another book, Thessalonians. I got an extra copy for those who want to make a donation. Call 877-526-2151. Got one copy, Thessalonians, the Navarre Bible series. Right back with more.
Welcome, Daniel. You're on the line. What's on your mind, brother? Hi, I just wanted to share a testimony about Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I had a buddy at work who, you know, he's a lukewarm Catholic guy, and I wanted him to start listening to the Terry and Jesse show, so I kept telling him to download the app, and he kept putting me off. So one day, I grabbed his phone, and I downloaded the app for him. I went on vacation, and you know, I kept telling him to listen to it. He was kind of put me off. I came back from vacation. He comes to my cubicle, and he says to me, Hey, man, I've been listening to Terry and Jesse's show, and it's great. And it's uh, made a big impact in his life. The guy, he's going to weekly adoration a couple times a wow. week. He goes to the mass in the morning. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he's the uh, on-fire Catholic, and he promotes uh, the Terry and Jesse show on the Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Wow. Daniel, what a testimony. And I want to encourage our listeners to get those cards by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org and uh, do what Daniel's doing. Go out and spread the faith by inviting people to listen to Virgin Most Powerful. Daniel, thanks for your testimony, brother. God love you. You're welcome. This is Terry Barber reminding you, there's a women's conference coming up September 7th, 2019 at the Sacred Heart Chapel. Mary Danielle Barber will be speaking along with Barbara Nicolosi. They're going to be talking about true femininity, be who you are. This is going to be for your daughters, your mothers. Every woman should be at this conference. And the way to do it is go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites the Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US1. This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Well, thank you, Jesse. So Paul goes on, and remember, and and this is what what really is the crux of it. Yes, Jesus died on the cross, Mm -hmm. but he didn't stay dead. God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem who are now his witnesses to the people. Now, what's interesting about that is there are some modern scholars who like to claim, well, it, it was just a spiritual resurrection. He didn't really resurrect it. Oh, my gosh. It, it, you know, the, the, the apostles were expecting this, and so that's the way it ended. No, actually, the apostles weren't expecting it. As a matter of fact, when the, when the women come to tell them that the Jesus is raised from the dead, they're like, women's stories. The women are always seeing visions. They're always hearing mm-hmm. voices. You know, women, they're hysterical. You know? mm-hmm. And they don't believe them. And even when they see the empty tomb, they're confused. Jesus has to convince them that he has risen from the dead. But once they are convinced, and they are convinced because they actually see him, they touch him, they eat with him, they drink with him, he instructs them. He appears to them several times over the course of 40 days. And they become convinced. They become, they know, they know this. It's, It's an experience. And then these men go out. And they give their lives to witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. All they had to say was, we made it up. It wasn't true. They could have saved their lives. People don't go to their death for a lie. It's true. Unless they're insane. 
and the apostles showed no signs of being insane. They were very rational men who were filled with charity for their neighbor, incredible charity for their neighbor. They prayed for those who persecuted them. They forgave those who killed them. And so, you know, you don't just lay down your life. And so remember the resurrection, the end of the story is not the death. We die, but we rise from the dead. And this is what gave the Christians joy. They didn't have their hearts set on the things of this world. They set their hearts on heaven where Jesus is with the Father, knowing that they too would share in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead if they were faithful. So they prayed every day to be faithful. You know, Mary, Jesse and I were talking about this on the Terry and Jesse show, and we were pointing out that, you know, we can dwell on the the challenges that we're being faced in our culture and even in our church with the scandals. But we want to keep our our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ and him crucified and know we did a whole segment on the resurrection and the joy of what we are expecting because, as I said earlier, there's an expiration date on your your birth certificate and mine. We're all going to die. But what is our hope? It's in Jesus Christ. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and it's for eternal life. Mm -hmm. It's life in heaven. And we can give up all the things of this world because everything that we need can be found in Christ if only we can be found in him. Amen. And that's, that's the trick of it. Our, our bodies are crying out. You know, we have many faculties of the body. Every faculty of the body cries out for its own favorite food, independent of the good of the whole body. Yeah. That's why we can overindulge in hot fudge sundaes or you know, eating sugar or drinking alcohol or getting addicted to drugs or smoking cigarettes to an excess or, you know, all of these things. We can, we can develop these addicting behaviors. And there are other addicting behaviors, too, that are very damaging that can be on an emotional level where we manipulate people and use them because we are emotionally immature and we're afraid to grow up because we're afraid to take the responsibility of an adult. Mm-hmm. We're ta- afraid to take responsibility for ourselves. Yeah. You know, when you go to confession... You know, it's not it's not about, well, I got angry, but that's because my husband is so mean or inconsiderate or my children are so disobedient or no, it's I got angry because I got angry. And and the emotion of anger is one thing. You know, if you see injustice, you should feel the emotion of anger. But we need to learn to guide and direct that emotion in a constructive way. And so when we choose the sin of anger, we chose it. It was my sin. If I've commit fornication, well, you know, my girlfriend was pushing me or my boyfriend was pushing me. And, you know, I mean, if, yeah, if you're raped and you really didn't choose it, that's not, that's not a sin. <laughs> but, but if you, if you cooperated in this, yes, it is a sin. And you can't blame it on someone else. You can't go to confession and say, you know, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. But it wasn't my fault. It, it, when we say that, then we're not really sorry and we can't be forgiven. We have to be forgiven. And if you can't come to the point where it's like, Lord, I'm sorry I offended you because I love you, that's fine. Go to the edge of hell and look in. We have some descriptions of hell. Read the description that our Blessed Mother gave to the children at Fatima. They saw hell. And read the description. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's like, not pretty. It's not pretty. And, and, and imperfect contrition combined with confession that's is right. sufficient right. to have our sins forgiven. So Jesus died. He died to take away our sins. Mm-hmm. He died to take away our sins. Can I say it a third time? He died to take away our sins. That doesn't mean that I don't sin anymore. It means that all of my sins can be forgiven if I'm sorry for them. And I can. I really can overcome sin in my life. He gives me the power by his grace to say no to sin and say yes to him, to say yes to the cross. 
What does it mean to take up my cross daily and follow him? The first thing it means is that I'm going to follow the Ten Commandments and say no to myself and the, the, the woundedness of my nature that where it's easier for me to sin than it is for me to do good, and I will ask God for the grace to do the good today that he wants me to do, and I need his grace to do any good. So I ask for it. So Paul wants everybody to know that, yes, following the crucifixion, following dying to ourself, there is life, eternal life. And, and you know what? The joy of that union with God doesn't just begin in heaven. It begins right here on earth. The, the saints knew joy. The early Christians knew joy in the midst of their sufferings. We need to ask the Lord to bring that joy back. We need to be regrounded in our hope for eternal life in, so that we can have joy in suffering with the Lord. I'll give you an example. We all know in Nagasaki, the, the Japanese martyrs, you recall how yes. joyful they were, even though they were being martyred uh, and they were praising God. Exactly. I think of St. Maximilian Kolbe yep. in Auschwitz in 1944 yeah. and how he died in that concentration camp singing hymns and raising his voice to the Lord. Right. And not only that, but leading the men who were with him, the other nine men. leading. He was the weakest one that went in. <laughs> and he didn't die. After, 50, after 14 days, he was still alive. So they came in and killed him. Yeah. But he led all the other men, and instead of the, the, the cries and screams, I mean, they were dying of starvation and dehydration. Yeah. It's painful. It's excruciatingly agonizing. And these men, instead of expressing their physical pain, Maximian was leading them in prayer and the praises of God, and they were singing hymns. And there was joy in the midst of their suffering. That didn't take the physical pain away. And I would, put, I would say that that's not just for the saints. We're all called to be saints. Exactly. So, you know, you can say, oh, well, that was St. Maximian Colby. I'm, you know, I'm so, I'm, I can't be that. No, you can through grace. And one of the things I mentioned earlier in our show earlier about asking Jesus Christ for more faith every day, because the saints had that faith, yeah. but they were asking for it every day. Exactly. And we need to do the same. We need to do the same. We need to ask for the courage to, to be able to suffer with the Lord and to offer our sufferings in union with him. So Paul goes on and he talks about how Jesus fulfills the prophecies. And he gives three of them right here. Oh, he, yeah. he gives, um, thou art my son, today I have begotten you, mm-hmm. which is Psalm 2, verse sure. 7. <laughs> and then he, I will give you the holy and sure blessing of David, um, which, is, which is also one of the Psalms. Mm-hmm. And then thou wilt not let thy holy one know corruption, which is Psalm 16. And so all of this, I guess, I guess actually I will give you the sure and holy blessing of David is from the prophet Isaiah. So all of these were parts of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. And um, God didn't allow Jesus to, to be corrupted. He didn't allow his body to be corrupted. He raised him from the dead. And it had been foretold. Now, it wasn't fully understood until it happened. Even the apostles didn't understand, and they certainly didn't expect it. Go back and read the Gospels. They did not expect it. <laughs> so it, it's, it's through Jesus Christ that the forgiveness of sins is preached. And it's through Jesus Christ that the forgiveness of sins is given and received. So we go to the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, come into my life as my Lord and Savior and, and bring me to the foot of your cross and help me to embrace the sufferings in my life and to, to re- renounce sin, to renew my baptismal promises. You know, in baptism, we renounce sin. Yep. And we profess our belief in God. It doesn't hurt to renew those promises oh, every single day. Idea. 
And, and in doing so, we're asking the Lord for more faith and to increase in us the grace of our baptism. Can I make a quick comment about your renewing your baptismal promises? The previous pope from Pope, Bene, uh, pope, uh, pope Francis, not Pope Benedict, said uh, that if you can, go back to the actual mm-hmm. church, the baptismal font, and renew your baptismal font. And he said, if you can bring your godparents, do that too. So I had the experience of doing that all the way in Tucson, Arizona, with my Uncle Frank, and he was my godfather, and renewed my baptismal promises at the very church that 50 years previously I was at being baptized. And it was such a moving thought. So here's your spiritual fitness trainer saying, if you can go back to the church, I know Mary Danielle would have to go back to Minnesota. (laughs) But, you know, go back if you can and renew those baptismal promises. If you can't do it there, you can always do it in any church. Right, and you can do Anytime. it every day. You can do it in your prayer sure. throughout the day. And, and then basically, it's the, the renunciation of sin and Satan and his pomps mm-hmm. and works. And then you, you say the apostle, you say the creed. Mm. This is what I believe. Yep. And I ask the Lord to increase that in me and renew it. And, you know, there, there's always the possibility of falling away. And Paul points this out in, oh, yeah. in verse 40 here. Beware, therefore, lest there come upon you that is said in the prophets, and what is what was said? Well, it said, Behold, you scoffers, and wonder and perish. For I do a deed in your days, a deed you will never believe if one declares it to you. So even though, and there were, there were many who scoffed at the idea of the resurrection of the dead, and there were many who refused to believe. And unfortunately, the scripture says those people will perish. So we want to pray that we don't scoff. Don't reject the resurrection, and we know, no, don't reject Jesus Christ. He is our Lord and Savior, yes. And more than that, he established a church. He established his church, and he gave us the seven sacraments mm-hmm. as means of grace to draw us closer to God in love. And that's the point of it. We need to come to know the person of Jesus Christ so that we can know the person of the Father and the person of the Holy Spirit and come into that personal love relationship so that we can grow in love of God. Beautifully stated. Hey, I just want to remind you, if you want to get that Thessalonians Navarre Bible series that my wife uses all the time on different books of the Bible, I've got a copy for you. Call 877-526-2151. We'll be back with much more with the Bible with the Barber. This is Mary Danielle Barber, and I would like to invite you to join us here at the Sacred Heart Chapel in downtown Covina for a true femininity, be who you are, women's conference, Saturday, September 7th, 2019, from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Barbara Nicolosi and I will be speaking. It's $35 a person, and you can register at virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877 526-2151. We hope to see you at the Women's Conference, September 7, 2019. Jesus said to the apostles in Luke chapter 10, Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me. According to St. Boniface, in her voyage across the ocean of this world, the church is like a great ship 
being pounded by the waves of life's different stresses, our duty is not to abandon ship, but to keep her on course. May our Lord help us remain ever faithful to His Church, to aid and defend her. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support for The Terry and Jesse Show. We now have a program where you can donate your old jalopy, your old car that you don't want anymore, and 80% of that profit will come right back to The Terry and Jesse Show. You just call 855-500-7433. Tell them you want to donate your car to the Catholic Resource Center, and that will support us. Call 855-500-7433. Thank you, and God love you. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites the Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, welcome back. This is our final segment. We're on uh, verse 44 here. And Paul and Barnabas, after preaching in the synagogue, the people were very excited. So the next Sabbath, almost the entire city gathers. And the Jews see this and they're really jealous. So they contradict whatever Paul speaks, and they try and revile him. So Paul and Barnabas say, you know, it's necessary that the word of God be preached to you Jews first. But since you thrust it from you and judge yourself unworthy of eternal life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For the Lord commanded us, I have set you to be a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the utmost parts of the earth. So when the word of God is preached to us, we have to choose it. Or reject it. We, it's up to us. We have a free choice. We have to make that choice. But rejecting it has some real serious consequences. We separate ourselves from God when we reject the gospel, and we don't want to do that. And so we want to pray for the Lord to give us the grace to be humble before him and to be able to accept the gospel in all of its fullness and to live it fully. So the Gentiles heard this and they were ecstatic and they were they glorified God and they were really happy. But the Jews weren't happy and they incited some of their um, women of high standing and leading men of the city and they stirred up a persecution of Paul and Barnabas and they drove them out of the district. So Paul and Barnabas shake the dust from their feet and they go on to Iconium. But the disciples there who had come to know the Lord through the preaching of Paul and Barnabas were very happy and they were filled with joy. And and Paul and Barnabas are filled with joy. It's interesting. When this happens, they're not, oh, these terrible people. They are so awful. They're so horrible. Look at what they're doing. They're just, they're like, no, you know what, Lord? I It's not up to me. I will preach your word and you have to give the growth. I can plant a seed, but only you can make it grow, Lord. And it's the same with us. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord and say, you know what? Any good we do, Lord, comes from you and we thank you for it. It's not I, it's you, Lord. It's you that people have to see. You know, Mother Teresa had that beautiful prayer she would pray, pray after communion with her sisters. And I, I know part of it, you know, Jesus live in me and, and, and shine through me, so to shine that others will see the light 
the light, oh Jesus, will be all from you. None of it will be from me. Jesus is the light. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the one who leads us. He's the one who saves us. The rest of us are his servants, and we try and bring his word. But it's not up to us to convert people. It's up to Jesus Christ. He gives the grace. He gives the growth. We can plant the seed, but the Lord gives the grace. And we might plant the seed and not even water it. The Lord might send someone else to water it. And that's okay. Are we okay? Are you know, are we willing to say, you know what, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Not my will, but thine be done. And sometimes we're willing, but you know, the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. That's why we need to pray and pray continuously. Say they go on to Iconium and um, they go into the Jewish synagogue and they, you know, they preach and both Jew and Greeks are believing. But um, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. They remain for some time, and they're speaking boldly for the Lord and witnessing of the grace, and the Lord granted them signs and wonders. But the people of the city were divided because there were some who had set themselves against this gospel, and they didn't want to hear it. And so um, they were trying to cause trouble for Paul and Barnabas, and so Paul and Barnabas learned about the plans of these people. They were going to beat them up or stone them or something. And so they flee. They leave the city and they go to Lystra and Derby. And it's, it's interesting. Persecution becomes the impetus for the gospel going further. You know, if they hadn't received any um, persecution in Iconium, they may have stayed there and continued to preach. But because of the persecution, they go on to Lystra and, and Derby. And in Lystra, they cure a, a crippled man. <clears throat> He was crippled from birth, and he had never walked. And he's listening to Paul speak. And Paul looks at him, and, and he sees that um, he has the faith to be made well. And Paul tells him, stand up on your feet. And he springs up and walks. And when the crowds see this, remember, they're in Greek territory, so these are pagans. So Paul tells him, stand up and walk. And they're like, oh, the gods have come to us, and they look like men. And <clears throat> Barnabas they called Zeus. Barnabas was very, um, he was not a, a small man. He was a, a tall, um, well-built man. And, very, and he looked very much like the statues, apparently looked very much like the statues of Zeus that they had in the Greek world. So they see these men together and they're preaching this gospel. And then this man is cured and they're like, oh my gosh, these are the gods. And um, they call Paul Hermes because he's the chief spokesman. So Paul's doing most of the speaking. He's Hermes. He's the messenger of the gods. And Zeus is there curing people. And they're like, oh. And so <clears throat> they're going to offer sacrifice to him. The people go and they get the priests from the temple of Zeus. And they come and they bring oxen to offer sacrifice. And Paul and Barnabas run out and say, no, no. And they tear their garments. and there's, This is what we're trying to save you from. We don't worship the things of this world. We don't worship people. We don't worship animals. And God doesn't demand animal sacrifice. We're here to give you the truth. We're here to teach you what God really wants. And that, you know, to worship, to bring you to the worship of the God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And yeah, in the past, he allowed the, the, the nations to walk in darkness. But now he sent his son. And he himself has come among us. And so he's given us witness. And it's him. It is him himself who will satisfy our hearts. He gives us food, you know, what we need for our bodies. But he's the one. We need to cling to him. 
And but even so, the people were still thinking they needed to offer sacrifice to him. You know, I mean, this was the pagan world. It was like, oh, the gods. You have to appease the gods. And if you you think you've run into one of the gods in human form, you need to offer him sacrifice, or they may destroy you. And Paul and Barnabas are trying to no, know this is this is this is um, superstition and idolatry. This isn't the true way. God wants people who worship him in in truth, in spirit and in truth, and he wants us from our hearts to turn to him and give up sin and our attachment to the things of this world. So some of the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, the the cities they've already left where there was trouble, and they persuaded some of the people that these men were just trying to manipulate them and use them and, you know, preaching false things. Well, they were a little bit afraid to do anything with Barnabas because they, they did think that he might be Zeus in, in, in human form. And so what do they do? Paul gets it. They drag Paul outside the city and they stone him. <laughs> he was the spokesman. You know, Hermes, you could pick on the spokesman. Nah, no big deal. The gods aren't going to get too upset about that. So they drag Paul out of the town and they stone him. And um, But his disciples gather around him and he goes back into the city and the next day, he and Barnabas, Barnabas leave Derby. They go on. They're going to they're gonna travel on now. And they're going to return to Antioch. And so when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. They were there, and they on this return journey, they're trying to strengthen the people who have believed. I'm sure those people were experiencing some persecution for having believed and having just like they drove Paul and Barnabas out of the district, they're going to persecute the people who embraced what Paul and Barnabas had preached, you know, the people who were left behind. As a matter of fact, they weren't, you know, maybe they weren't spending a lot of time persecuting because instead they followed Paul and Barnabas and tried to cause trouble for them and did cause trouble for them. But Paul and Barnabas aren't complaining and they're not whining and crying and they're not saying, you know, um, oh, gee, these people shouldn't be doing this and isn't this horrible, you know, it's, um, if you accept difficulties with a faint heart, you lose joy and your peace, and you run the risk of not de- deriving spiritual profit from the trial. Um, St. Jose Maria Escriver wrote in a little book called The Way, where he gives us spiritual counsels. And so Paul isn't, he doesn't receive the persecution with a faint heart. He's not complaining and whining that he's being persecuted and picked on. He unites it all to Christ. And he will eventually write, you know, um, the sufferings of the moment I call I count as nothing in comparison to the glory that will be revealed. And so he knows that Christ Jesus is going to share his glory with Paul and with each one of us. If we follow him faithfully, he shares his glory with us. We will live in union with him for all eternity in heaven. And God shares his glory. He will glorify us with himself and glorify us with his own glory and let us share in his glory. And so Paul is not faint-hearted. He's not feeling sorry for himself. He's going to preach the gospel. And there's going to be a combat, a combat against ourselves and our own self-pity and our own, you know, wanting to be wanted and liked. We have to overcome those things in ourselves, and we can do that with God's grace. And this is what the apostles are showing us. We just, 
our life is full of toil and crosses. It doesn't matter who you are. You're going to suffer. So why suffer without Christ? If you suffer in union with Christ, you can have joy. And, and you can have great peace. You know, sometimes in life, people have jobs that are really tough. You know, you have people who work for you, and they don't do their work real well. And so then you have to reprimand them. Well, you can reprimand them out of a sense of, you know, looking down on them and you're worthless and and you screwed up and you cost the company all this money and you might cost these other men who work with you their jobs because you're costing the company so much money it might fold. Or you can, you know, like that. The one whom God loves, he chastises. Okay? Not by way of vengeance did the Lord put them in the crucible, but by way of admonition. So God is admonishing us to let go of our preconceived notions and our self-pity and our self-righteousness and to turn to the Lord and be an instrument in his hands. And yes, when we have to administer discipline, we do it the same way the Lord does, by way of admonishing people so that they can begin to grow. And we can help people to grow by admonishing them. If we're putting them down and crushing them, we're probably not going to help them grow. And we're going to be miserable too. So with joy, we can administer discipline and we can administer correction just like the apostles did. And they go back to those towns where they were persecuted to strengthen the brethren. And in doing that and showing their joy, maybe others were brought by their returning to the very places where they were persecuted. So we don't want to run away from persecution. We don't need to go seek it. We just need to live our Christian life to the full and be faithful to the Lord and bring his life and his light wherever we go. Let his light shine before men. And then they will see your good works and they will give praise to the Father in heaven. So we want to act like the apostles did. We want to ask the Lord for joy, the joy in serving him. And we want to pray for more faith every day. Renew your baptismal promises. If you're married, renew your marriage vows every day. It's important. We need to continually renew the vows that we have made. And we need to continually strive, strive against sin in our lives, against ourselves, our own selfishness. This has been great being with you. It's been a real joy. Bible with the Barbers. We'll be back, please God, next Tuesday with more. St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests O my Jesus, I beg thee on behalf of the whole Church, grant it love and the light of thy Spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to Thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou Thyself maintain them in holiness. O Divine and Great High Priest, may the power of Thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of Thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin Most Powerful, pray for us. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.